hello and welcome to our podcast here at Discovery Point Church. Thank you for joining us today. We pray this message inspires you and is the beginning of a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Enjoy the message. This weekend we're talking about uh, it's good news and we're continuing in Luke chapter 2 and this incredible story that you've heard before probably. If not, that's okay if you've not heard the story, but it's the story of the birth of Christ according to Luke's account. And he introduces us to this idea of good news, of great joy. I'm a news guy. I watch a lot of news. And uh, I watch a lot of news. I, I enjoy watching the weather as well. I'm that guy. And But as I think about the news, I think about it feels like the culture is being inundated with news. There's helpful news, there's insightful news, there's alarming news, there's good news, there's bad news, there's infuriating news, there's frustrating news. There's news. It's like the news has news. We have world news, we have national news, we have local news. There's a lot of news and that news sometimes feels like it's being manipulated somewhat because they want us to see certain part of the news story that's that's coming there's flashing news and breaking news and and we're being inundated with news but but in the story Luke in his account talks about this good news this good news of great joy now what's important to note here that uh, as we begin the passage I just want to warn you, we're, we're, in, we're in verses 8 through 14, but I, I want to go right to verse 10. I, I'm thinking about when I used to eat Oreo cookies. I don't know if you've ever had an Oreo cookie or if you know what an Oreo cookie is, but when I would eat Oreo cookies, I had this thing where I would kind of twist the outside of the cookie and immediately go to that yummy filling, right? That, that gooey yummy white filling. Did anybody else eat an Oreo cookie like that? How in the world did we come up with that idea, right? You, you, you take it and you get right to the heart of the cookie and after you eat the white part of the cookie, then you kind of nibble on the wafer portion of the cookie. So I want to get to the, the, the meat of the matter right here in Luke chapter 2 verse 10 where he, he records these amazing words. You've heard them before, but, but notice what he says. He says, I, I'm bringing you this good news, this great news that's going to create joy in your life. This is the amazing news that I'm bringing to you. Now, uh, in the original text, the, the Greek word here means good news, good tidings, good message. It's often translated the gospel in the New Testament. Now, the gospel, let me just simplify the gospel of the good news, is the message of salvation found in and through Jesus Christ. That is the core of the gospel. And so that's where this idea comes from, this, this good news that Luke introduces us to. So let's go back to verse 8, and now let's kind of nibble around of the wafer part of the cookie. So I want you to see in verse 8, I want you to see that this good news was announced to the shepherds. All right, was announced to the shepherds. Notice what Luke says, the scripture says, that that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, and they were guarding their flocks of sheep. This is fascinating that, that the greatest news the world has ever known is coming to shepherds. It isn't coming to scribes, to Pharisees, to priests, and to kings. It's, it's coming to lowly shepherds. Now, there was a time in the scriptures where 
Shepherding was a noble profession, right? If you go back to the Old Testament, you see David. He's this highly respected uh, shepherd. But by the time we get to the New Testament and the birth of Christ, that what was once a noble profession had quite frankly deteriorated. And, and, and shepherds were often seen as unreliable, unsavory characters, unskilled, uneducated. They were considered ceremonial unclean. They were often isolated and they were often forgotten. They were bold. They were brash. And they were courageous. Bad boys, bad boys, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I mean, these were men, but that noble profession had lost that nobility and now they were seen as these unreliable, unsavory characters. By the way, had no voice in the culture. A shepherd could not even have a voice in the court of law. It would not hold any value in that. And isn't it just like our God? To announce the most amazing news the world has ever known to those who seem to deserve it the least. So there's this amazing announcement, and then we see this announcement in verse 9, the first part of that verse, that this good news was accredited by an angel. Look at what the passage says in verse 9. It says, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them. Now, in Luke's account of the birth of Christ, up to this point, this is the third time that we see an angel sharing some kind of news. Remember that in chapter 1 we see the angel coming to Zechariah. In chapter 1 we see the angel Gabriel having a conversation with Mary. And here we see an angel comes on the scene again. The third time we see an angel bringing uh, heavenly accreditation to the conversation. Bringing heavenly value to this amazing, incredible news. Then we see that this good news in the second part of verse 9 was accompanied by God's glory. Look at what the passage says in verse 9, the second part of the verse. The scripture says, And the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. God's glory is His manifested presence. It's all of His divine attributes on display. And we see the glory of God running throughout this amazing story, this good news that's, that's being broken and announced to the, the shepherds that God's glory now has come on the scene and it is surrounding the shepherds, right? They're out in this field. It's night. Here is God's glory surrounding them and they begin to get a glimpse of His glory, His divine attributes. It's a very powerful moment. Then as we move down to verse 10, we see that this good news is accessible to all people. Notice what Luke says in verse 10. He says, but the angel reassures them, don't be afraid. Isn't it phenomenal? When God steps on the scene, there's often, uh, our response is often fear. He says, don't be afraid. I bring you good news. Say that with me out loud, will you? I bring you good news. It's powerful. This good news is going to bring great joy to all of the people. Here's what's interesting to note about this, is that Luke is writing this. By the way, Luke is the only Gentile writer in all of the Scriptures. He is the only Gentile writer in the entire Bible. And it's likely when he talks about all the people here, the Greek word lost means a, a group of people, a, a, a specific uh, sector of people. So it's likely that, that this means for all the people actually is God's people, Israel, the Jews. But... But as we look at the continuing narrative of the scriptures, we see that 
this gospel begins to be available for all people. Does it not? Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Paul says this, And I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. First of all, to the Jew, and then to the Gentile. This good news, this message that Luke introduces us to, it is accessible to everyone. But notice in verses 11 and 12, it is only available in Jesus Christ. Notice the, the angel continues the conversation with the shepherds and says, Yeah, this is the Savior. Yes, the Messiah, the Lord. He's been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this son. You're going to find a baby. He's going to be wrapped snugly in strips of cloth. And he's going to be lying in a manger. <laughs> well, what a powerful idea. The good news comes to the shepherds. It's credited by the angels. It's accompanied by God's glory. It is accessible to all. And, and then the angel begins this idea. Is it is available in Jesus right now? He's just a baby. Right now, he's just a baby. You're going to find him. He's going to be wrapped in cloth. He's going to be in a manger. But notice what he says about Jesus in the passage. He, he uses three powerful words to describe him, does he not? He says that this baby, this Jesus, the angel says, first of all, he is the Savior. The word is soter. It means to save from grave danger. Second of all, he is the Messiah, Christos, the anointed one of God. Third of all, he is Lord. He will be Lord. Remember last week we, we talked a little bit about Caesar uh, being Lord. So now this idea of this new Lord is on the scene. His name is Jesus. He's a baby right now. But this salvation, this good news is only available in Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Luke, writing his second letter, right? He, he writes Acts. He's quoting Peter. Notice what he says. Notice what Peter says in this powerful sermon. He says, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. This baby, he is Savior, he is Messiah, he is Lord. The passage ends this way in verses 13 and 14. And this good news is affirmed by giving praise and glory to God. Look with me in verses 13 and 14. This is kind of one of those heavenly flash mobs. And the flash mobs not new. Right? They've been around for a minute. Here's one of them in the scriptures. Verse 13, suddenly, suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to who those with whom God is pleased. Or another translation would say, on whom his favor rests. This amazing news now is affirmed with praise and glory to God. I'm convinced when we understand how good this good news is, that our praise will not be contained and God's glory will not be concealed. When we understand how good it really is, nothing will hold back our praise. Nothing will conceal the glory of God. This gospel is life-changing News. Amen? Amen? This is the good news. It's the good news. World's filled with bad news, frustrating news. But this is the good news. And it changes lives. On January the 6th, 1850, 
A 15-year-old boy was trudging up High Hill in Colchester, England. That 15-year-old boy was on his way to church that morning when a blizzard prevented him from making it to the church that he had planned to go to. That 15-year-old boy, he turned a corner and he made his way down a smaller street. At the end of that street, there was a small primitive Methodist chapel. The young man recounts that day and he says this, I, I sometimes think that I might have been in darkness and despair had it not been for the goodness of God in sending a snowstorm one Sunday morning. I think we're good here, but just in case. When I could go no further, I turned down a street and I came to a little primitive Methodist chapel. In that chapel that morning, there might have been 12 to 15 people. The minister did not come that morning, snowed in, I suppose. But there was a poor man, a shoemaker, a tailor, or something of that sort. He, he went up into the pulpit to preach. He was obliged to stick to his text. For the simple reason that he had nothing else to say. The text was Isaiah 45, 22 that says this, Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, the minister declared. He went on to say, my dear friends, this is a very simple text indeed. It says, look. Uh, then it says, look unto me. I ye, said he in a broad Essex, many of you are looking unto yourselves. No use looking there, you will never find comfort in yourselves. Then the good man followed up his text in this way. Look unto me. I am sweating great drops of blood. Look unto me, I'm hanging on the cross. Look unto me, I am dead and I am buried. The man continued, look unto me, I rise again. Look unto me, Christ said, I ascended, I'm sitting at the Father's right hand. Oh, look, oh, look unto me. The man recounting the story that morning says, After about ten minutes, the minister who was giving the message looked out into the small congregation. He said, Then he looked at me, and I dare say, with so few present, he knew me to be a stranger. He said, Young man, you look very miserable. The preacher continued, and you will always be miserable, miserable in life and miserable in death if you do not obey my text. But if you now obey the text in this moment, you will be saved. Then he shouted as only a primitive Methodist can. Young man, young man, look to Jesus Christ. There and then the cloud was gone, the darkness rolled away, and in that moment I saw the sun. And I could have risen that moment and sung with the enthusiasm 
of the choirs that sing about the precious blood of Christ. On January the 31st, 1892, the young boy who was saved that morning in that small, primitive Methodist chapel passed away at the age of 57. At his funeral, a Bible was laid open on the top of C.H. Spurgeon's coffin to Isaiah 45.22. Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. The gospel is life-changing. And on that snowy, cold day in England, the gospel took root in Spurgeon's life and began to bear fruit. By the time C.H. Spurgeon was 20 years old, he had preached over 600 sermons. Spurgeon once addressed a crowd of some 24,000 people without a microphone. C.H. Spurgeon pastored New Park Street Chapel, which became the Metropolitan Tabernacle for some 38 years. And in 1965 alone, his sermons sold more than 25,000 copies every week, translated into more than 20 different languages. During his lifetime, Spurgeon literally earned millions of dollars. Millions of dollars. But he died a poor man. He determined to take the money that he had earned through his ministry and give it to other ministries or start other ministries such as orphanages and pastors colleges to make sure that the good news that Luke talks about goes out further. There were times that Spurgeon would ask people who came to his church not to come back so someone who had never heard about Jesus could come in. It is estimated that during C.H. Spurgeon's lifetime that he preached to more than 10 million people. Even though he died at the young age of 57. He is still known today as the Prince of Preachers. On June the 7th, 1891, C.H. Spurgeon preached his last sermon. Even though he did not know this was his last message. I want to read a portion toward the end of the message of what he said. I quote, every man must serve somebody. We have no choice as to that fact. Those who have no masters, they are slaves to themselves. Depend upon it. You will either serve Satan or Christ. You will either serve self or the Savior. You will find that sin, self, Satan, and the world to be hard masters. But if you wear the liberty of Christ, you will find Him so meek and lowly of heart that you will find rest for your souls. If there is anything that is gracious, generous, kind, and tender, yes, 
lavish and super abundant in love, you will always find it in Jesus Christ. These 40 years and more that I have served Him, blessed be His name. And I have had nothing but love for Him. I would be glad to continue yet another 40 years in the same dear service here below if it so pleased Him. His service is life, peace, joy. Oh, that you would enter into it at once. And he ends with this. This is the last words recorded in any message that Spurgeon ever preached. God help you to enlist under the banner of Jesus even to this day. Amen. He never preached publicly again. The gospel is life-changing. It is good news. Paul says this in Colossians chapter 1, verse 6, that this same good news that came to you, it's going out all over the world. It's bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives. Look at this. Just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard it and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. This good news is life-changing. It is life-altering. Let me ask you a couple questions as we close. Number one, how did you hear about the good news? Do you remember? Where were you? Did someone share it with you? Were you in a, in a church? Was it on the radio? Where did you first hear about this amazing news that there is this Jesus who was born into this world and he was sinless and he went to a rugged cross and there he died and he rose again the third day that you and I could have fellowship with the Father. When did you first hear that news? Think about it. It's good news. Amen? It's good news. How did you hear the good news? Second of all, how has this good news changed your life? How has it changed your life? Paul says the good news is going out. It's going out all over the world. It's bearing fruit by changing lives just as it changed your life. How is this good news changing your life? You see, I'm convinced of this because I've done it all of my life. Sitting in church is a very dangerous thing. It's very dangerous. Religion itself is a very dangerous thing. See, I'm, I'm concerned about people who come and they sit in our churches and, and they enjoy what is offered, but they've never been changed by the gospel. They've never had the moment that Spurgeon had. They've never had the moment that maybe many of you have had where your life was changed and God's doing something new in your life and, and, and they're sorely convinced if I just go enough, if I just sit long enough, if I get in the right church and I, if I hear it enough, I too will be changed. Oh, friend. Do not buy into this idea if I attend church that I've been changed by the gospel. It is not so. Sitting in a church will not change you and I into the image of Jesus no more than standing in your garage will change you into a vehicle. A.W. Tozer said this, and the church should get a hold of this mantra and understand what Tozer says that modern religion focuses on filling churches with people, the true gospel emphasizing filling people with God. Yes. There is a vast difference, amen? Yes. 
Just because a church is full or it isn't full, the goal isn't to fill the church. The goal is to fill people with the love and the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Third question. How is this good news bearing fruit in your life? How is it bearing fruit? Now, my goodness, I, maybe, maybe there is a C.H. Spurgeon in the room tonight. Praise God. Praise God. The story of Spurgeon is one of the reasons I don't get too bristly about how many are in the room. Oh, I used to until I understood Spurgeon's story. You know why? Because you never know. You never know what God's going to do, who's going to be in the room, and how God is going to work. But I would wonder, how is the good news bearing fruit in your life? Paul says, guess what? It's bearing fruit all over the world. What about your world? How is it bearing fruit? Last question. Who are you sharing this good news with? Who could you share it with? Who, who could you encounter and engage in an act of kindness, of love, of grace? As, as my mentor taught me not too long ago, Greg, pray, care, and share. Pray for others. Care for others. Share the gospel when the opportunity presents itself. Maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. <laughs> Maybe you're like C.H. Spurgeon sitting in that small primitive chapel. And God got a hold of his life. It seemed insignificant. He shouldn't even have been there. Here's a snowstorm. God gets a hold of his life. And the world is turned upside down with Jesus. If you've never crossed the line of faith, maybe you're watching on video, don't let this distance, don't let this come between you and Jesus. Maybe you're in the room. Tonight would be the night to say yes to this Jesus. That's when it becomes good news. Amen? That's when it becomes incredible news. The scripture says, we will confess with our mouth that He is Lord and believe in our heart He was raised from the dead. Say it with me. You will be saved. Boy, what a word. You will be saved. If that's you tonight at the conclusion of our time together, come have a conversation with me. Let's talk about this good news of great joy. Let me pray for you. <clears throat> Fathers, we engage this amazing story. The gospel. That good news. Father, we are praying that it is changing us. That it is altering our lives. That it is making us more like Jesus. And Father, my prayers for those of us who are in the sound of my voice. If they've never said yes to Jesus, they've never crossed the line of faith, they've never repented, bowed a knee, said yes, Jesus, you are Lord. I pray that right now, this is the moment they say yes to you. surrender it all to you. They give their life to you. And you make them into the man or the woman or the young person that you want them to be. And praised, blessed, and honored. In Jesus' name, we pray this together. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today. We pray you allow this message to transform you to take what you learned and share the love of Jesus to those around you. You can stay informed and connected by following Discovery Point Church on all social media platforms. Thank you and God bless you.